Report in. Red 10 standing by. Red 9 standing by. Red 3 standing by. Red 6 standing by. Red 9 standing by. You're listening to the Ion Cannon Podcast. Laugh it up, fuzzball. Your source for entertainment reviews from a galaxy far, far away. This is it. He laser clickers. Welcome to the Ion Cannon Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Stephen, and I'm joined by my friends and co-hosts, Tom and William. Today, we're talking about Season 1, Episode 4 of The Mandalorian, titled Sanctuary, and Season 2, Episode 9 of The Resistance, titled The Vox Vortex 5000. But first, I think we've got a couple of minor announcements. Let's talk about those real fast. Yeah, so first of all, um, Star Wars Vader Mortal Episode 3 is out. We've played it thanks to... um, LMX Lab, and it is really, really cool. Uh, we will do a in-depth review of both that game and Jedi Fallen Order uh, uh, in the near future. We figured rather than uh, just do a short review, we'd, we'd at, the, at the top of the show we'd do it justice and actually go through it in, in a bit more detail because it's a it's a heck of a lot of fun. So uh, stay tuned for that. But oh man, Jedi Fallen Order was just incredible as well. I, I Oh yeah, I highly, I'm excited to talk about that one. I, and, and I so wish I was a gamer because I would love to play this, but I just, it, it's best for you guys to do it because just to me, sit there with you guys and, and just go, uh, I think I want to play it. it just, go ahead. I mean, I, I wanna, I'm want i going to listen to this review. It is, yeah, it's really good. Uh, so highly, highly recommended. Um, also, uh, some, some su- surprising news uh, today, uh, actually, as we're recording this, there's a new Star Wars television show coming to Disney Plus next year in 2020, uh, but it's not exactly what you think. Star Wars Jedi Temple Challenges uh, is a new game show hosted by none other than Ahmed Best. Very cool. Um, and uh, yeah, so Ahmed Best, Best, the voice of Jar Jar Binks, will host this game show set in the galaxy far, far away. Uh, it says it will test young contestants' abilities to the core Jedi principles of strength, knowledge, and bravery as they face thrilling and fun obstacles in an attempt to achieve the rank of Jedi Knight. From lightsabers to hyperspace, the Force, and the dark side, Jedi Temple Challenges transports viewers and contestants into the Star Wars galaxy like never before. It's hosted by Ahmed Best, uh, who's going to play a Jedi Master, and he will be uh, joined by a, uh, a, a humanoid droid companion voiced by Mary Holland. Uh, and uh, they're going to have sounds like it's they're going to have some fun it's uh, produced by uh, Scott Bromley uh, from the Star Wars show um, and uh, and other things and uh, yeah it's like a kids game show so it's, it almost sounds like a American Ninja Warrior Star Wars edition okay but but it also sounds like remember they used to have the 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 little kid Jedi things at Disneyland and Disney World where you could get up there with a, a Jedi master it kind of sounds like that but for TV and a little let's bit more let's not talk fun. about those Tom <laughs> oh but robbed. It, Oh, okay, but yeah. Sorry no, for another I, time. I agree with that, and also realize this: as fans, we're going to be robbed with this one too because this is a kid game show. Where's the adult game show about uh, for Star Wars fans like us? <laughs> I sure mean, come on. Be. You know what? Hey, I think this, this sounds fun. Uh, oh, I'm going to watch it. Yeah. I think it's going to be a blast. It'll be on Disney Plus. So, uh, stay tuned for that. It is coming later uh, in 2020. Also coming on May 5th. 2020 is a sequel to Queen's Shadow. We're getting now a new Padme novel titled Queen's Peril by E.K. Johnson. And uh, it takes place even before 
Queen's Shadow with the uh, the original, the OG set of um, of Handmaidens. Uh, oh, they should be good. Yeah, yeah, it's I, uh, it's fun to get books, more books about Padme, and uh, we'll get to see a little bit more about the. It's kind of a prequel to both Queen's Shadow and um, the Phantom Menace. So we'll get a little more of Padme during like her it. days as queen. Yeah, this should be really good. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to that as well. But, uh, you know, we've got a lot a lot going on uh, in the Star Wars galaxy. This is, guys, we knew this was going to be a busy time, but boy, is it a busy time for Star Wars stuff. There's, there's just, just not, there is not enough time. There's literally no, not it, enough time. No. Um, and, it, and it seems like almost every week we're getting a new announcement. I wonder what's going to happen after the first of the year. Is there going to be anything different? Oh, I'm I'm sure there's going to be even. I mean, I mean, there's rumors that we'll after the beginning of next year we'll get a new announcement of a new t- uh, the new next new film. Um, oh, that is true. Supposedly they've picked a director and they just they're waiting to announce it until after uh, Rise of Skywalker. So, uh, and of course the Rise of Skywalker um, television ads have been um, picking up pace. So, yeah, it's really cool. Uh, I c- can't wait. There's so much Star Wars stuff. Uh, but today, uh, we're actually here to talk about uh, two very different episodes of Star Wars television. Tom, what are yeah, we going to be reviewing telling first? Me. The first one we're going to be talking about is The Mandalorian Season 1, Episode 4, Chapter 4, Sanctuary. This was directed by Bryce Dallas Howard and written by John Favreau. Now, in this one, The Mandalorian teams up with an ex-soldier to protect a village from raiders. This is where we get to see Cara Dune for the first time. Yes, yes. Um, we get actually a lot of interesting stuff. We we um, this episode is a bit of a change of pace from the last few, I think. Okay, uh, and I had no problem with this. I, I I felt with this episode. I've always said the thing I'm liking about this show is it's letting the story tell the story instead of rushing it or you know dragging it. Even though this was a quieter pace, yes, the Mandalorian left behind the sand and snow, and he's now a quiet. He he went into a backwater world called you know uh, Sorgan, planet Sorgan. So it, it had still had a good feel to it, and there was still a good pacing to it, even though it was different than the other episodes we had. I mean, it's like any in any story, you're at the middle point, and we have reached the middle point. We're now exactly halfway through the season, which is hard to believe. Wow. Um, in any story, like it's gonna have a bit of action at the beginning, and then it's gonna get a little quiet in the middle, and then it gets really crazy, and then it kind of dies off down again at the very end of the of the season. And we are at that point, the point where the Mandalorian and and Baby Yoda are trying to lay low and and kind of can, uh, survive. Can we just call months. him the child? I'm I'm having I'm having a, a I'm having a little bit of a thing calling him. I understand it's out there and everybody's like, oh, it's Baby Yoda, Everyone Baby Yoda. Calls like, him baby. Even well, the directors call him Baby, baby Yoda. Yoda. Oh my God! Sorry, Tom. Okay. Okay. Welcome your new Baby Yoda overlord. <sighs> I, I alternate between Baby Yoda uh, and the child, uh, depending on the, the the context and situation. But there's Good point. only one context. Oh, no, no, no. That's but but yeah, we, I mean, we we now get our fourth planet of the series uh sorgon and we actually get a name for this one and uh i'm curious what do you guys think of the this whole planet's aesthetic it's very much more of a backwater planet rather than uh the sand and the snow we get more of a 
kind of a jungle with um, uh, farmland, much more rural. Uh, it's pretty cool, Stephen. Yeah, what do you I, I really liked it. It remind. I thought it might have been Takodana at first. Um, it had a very similar mm-hmm. kind of appearance to it. Um, but it like the Mandalorian continues to impress. I would say with it, the the amount of world building and thought it puts into like oh, absolutely. And just like a very simple example is, you know, this is, as you said, it's a backwater world farming, you know, um, clearly not a world of wealth or anything like that. Um, and this is, I'll actually say, this is something Star Wars hasn't really given us before. We tend to see worlds as very, I don't know, I, I almost want to say one dimensional, but it's not, it's not that this was multidimensional as much as like, um, oh, I'm trying to think, like, you know, Things like seeing the droids with the the farmers yeah. mm-hmm. is a very, like, it adds a lot of depth to the world. You start to understand how it works. It feels like, oh, yeah, like, obviously, there aren't big buildings. You get a sense that it's a backwater, but you still see and feel that it's, oh, it's still Star Wars. They still have the things that make it Star Wars. It's just not, you know. Yeah, uh, there's still technology like, being used, yeah. but yeah. not very prevalent like you would find on Coruscant. You're seeing it's not, using, Yeah, it's not overwhelming in the same right. way. Right. I like the juxtaposition it's, of the two. Yes, exactly. Especially didn't they, didn't you see that one droid in the background? They had those really really skinny legs, and it almost had almost like did it have an R two dome on top? I mean, it was a very interesting design for that droid, and sadly, it was in the background. But you could still get the idea that the technology is there, but again, it's not pushed. Exactly. It just. And it feels natural. It feels like it's part of the world. Yep. And that's, I mean, obviously that's all you want from a good Star Wars movie. Right. Or show. But it might as well be a movie. Yeah. All the residents there, for the most part, they're they're farmers. They they farm krill, these blue fish that apparently use in everything from, uh, they seem to to, to almost brew the the fish into this uh, drink called spotchka. Mm, Uh, Yeah, I didn't. Didn't didn't look all that appetizing. Yeah. I will say, hey, but, but you know. hey, but people were drinking it. Yeah, and uh, they're they're very simple. Uh, I thought I thought most of the background characters were kind of bland. I guess uninspired. I my biggest issue with this episode was a lot of the new characters that were introduced. Oh, okay. Um, and I yeah, I. I was not a fan of most of the new characters in this episode. Cara Dune I liked. I thought she was fine. Um, <clears throat> I didn't really care for the Widow or some of the other farmers. Um, not, I don't, and I don't know. That, that, I'm not sure it's anything about them specifically. Just it, that part of the episode didn't gel for me. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk about it more as we get closer to it. But Okay. Yeah, I thought their cost, okay. like from the production design standpoint, I thought their costumes were, were, were fairly good. Oh, yeah, it, yeah, it, it was the background characters very, and the fact that yeah, it, it felt very in universe for what it yeah. was. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there, okay. There, there was one thing that threw me off, and I'm going to jump to that at this point. When the Mandalorian did go into that one, let's call it "quote unquote" restaurant, and he asked for broth, just the I'll house. say when the the owner or the waitress came and talked to him, that little section threw me off a bit i don't know what it was i like that section okay. yeah. I, I, I know and that's and not, that's, and that's, that's say, the hard not thing. just because of baby yoda and the broth oh no that was a crack up no no i'm just Which saying it was taken it was be- i don't go ahead william no it's taking yeah i was saying it's that that the baby yoda sipping is his uh his bone broth is like basically taken over the internet 
Oh my God, that was just I, crack up. But it, I, I don't know why, but it was just the way it was something about the interaction with the Mandalorian and the waitress hmm. or, or the owner or the person that came to help him. It was just something about that, that just for that brief instant kind of popped me out of the show. And, but okay. With the si- sipping of the bone broth. Hello. How can you not get back into the universe when you see that? Oh yeah. Just, I don't know how they continue to produce such, I'm going to say memeable is not a word, but such yeah. memeable like shots every single week. Like, yes, it's, it's blown me away just how much baby Yoda has taken over the whole internet. Really? Like mm-hmm. people who don't watch the show are talking about baby Yoda. It's crazy. Uh, also just huge hats off to uh, John Favreau and team for like convincing Disney not to leak this ahead of time. Oh, yeah. which has yeah, only made I mean, it better. But and, like, you just know they're like, no, John, what are you No, We're going to have baby Yoda merch on day one. What are you talking about? If we can't, if this isn't in stores and available on day one, we're not going to like, no one will buy it. No, no, it's, like, it's an okay, incredible it sign of res- restraint on the part of Disney. Absolutely. Uh, they actually just announced the merch it is, uh, today uh, with, for baby Yoda. I, uh, and now like, you too can have a baby. Yoda. Yeah, but the, yeah, the but first have stuff to wait doesn't come until next year. February, and then even May, as late as May for like the plushie. Yeah. And uh, but you know, I think it's the right thing, the right thing to do. Uh, I, I oh, totally. Absolutely. And you also have to look at it from the point of view of not just Disney, but think about and and I saw this somewhere. Think about the kids that had to sit there and interact with this baby Yoda. What what were these kids? These kids, I know everybody probably on the show signed NDAs, but. Were they given like a porg and thinking they were playing with a porg instead of a baby Yoda? I mean, well, it's, it is a real effect. Something too. like there is an actual baby Yoda. It's a puppet. animatronic that I think yeah. they've been using for at least some of the scenes. Well, I think when he it, to me, when you see baby Yoda sitting there flipping those switches and he picks them up and move them, mm. that has to be a practical effect. No, that, it, it, yeah. it's all puppetry. And actually, yeah. in a uh, in an interview, the director, Bryce Dallas, Dallas Howard, talked about how when her kids, her kids spent a lot of time on set. And every day she talked to them and said, okay, what are we not going to talk about? Baby Yoda. And they kind of had to train them not to spoil, not to spoil the secret. And I'm sure somebody, I'm sure somebody on the crew must have sat there and joked with the kids. Trust me, if you spill the information about this, you won't be going to Disneyland ever again. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. I really hope we get a more in-depth, I suspect we will once the season ends, but we get a more in-depth look at, the um the the making of the show oh yeah like a behind the scenes that would be great there's a lot of like not only like the filming with with the the baby uh, yoda puppet but the fact that um the, the the whole there's a new technology uh that they're using to film the uh the the series where basically instead of using green screen they use this uh, I'm, I'm dramatically simplifying it and they haven't actually given a great look into this but um it's a techn- technology called stagecraft and they're mm-hmm. it's effectively like this hmm. the special screen um with the, uh, made out of these special crystals and they pre-visualize the entire episode before they ever film it almost like they would for an animated series and then hmm. they go in and so they already know exactly all the shots and what it's going to look like and then they go out and they're able to take plates and uh create the cg effects like for the backgrounds of the scene interesting, um, in, um, uh, in advance. And then, so when you get on set, what you're actually, you're actually seeing the world projected onto these screens that looks incredibly realistic. That's too cool. And so the actors feel like they're 
actually on location rather than in front of a green screen. Uh, and they're not That's acting. really neat. Yeah, it's, it's, it was incredible. I think there was a, a really interesting article. I think it was in Slash Film that talked about it a little bit. Uh, and they haven't gone into as much detail yet as, as I would like. And hopefully, again, like, can we get that featurette or something? Um, but uh, it, it, the, the technology was so good that, uh, according to this article, I don't have it in front of me, but it was something to the effect of like one Disney exec walked on set and said, uh, uh, and said, I thought you weren't going to build practical sets, you know, or, or big sets. And they're like, we did. Mm-hmm. This is all CG. And they're like, wait, what? <laughs> you know, like it's, wow. it's, it's that good. That's it's awesome. brand new technology. And it requires a lot of upfront work to go prep everything and plan it perfectly. Cause you can't really improvise on set, right? Cause all the camera angles have to match what's on the screen behind you. Yeah, that's true. It's not like you're doing a CG movie in right. which in the computer, if you have anything you have to change, you can change it in the computer technically on the fly with your CG characters. This you have to deal with live action actors with a live action camera. Ooh, right. wow. Mm-hmm. But it allows them to preview what the effects look like early and it, it dramatically um, reduces the cost and makes things more realistic. So I think the combination of a lot of practical effects with like puppetry for baby Yoda with these special effects in the background um, to, to replace the green screen. Like the, the technology behind the show is so interesting to me. Uh, and I really hope we get to dive into it more. Mm-hmm. I was also having a discussion with a good friend of the show, um, Pete from um, about the Mandalorian himself and, uh, uh, and, and how much Pedro Pascal was actually in the show. Cause there was a, there was a line in an interview that talks about, again, I don't have it in front of me. I apologize. It wasn't, we weren't planning on talking about this, but there was a, a line in the show about how Pedro, pa- uh, in an interview from one of the directors, I think. I mean, it might have been either Bryce Dallas Howard um, or Deborah Chow about how um, Pedro Pascal wasn't on set early on due to like um, schedule conflicts. And so... Fascinating. Um, and so his body double... Um, was uh you know obviously there um the 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 stunt double who by the way is i guess the grandson of uh john wayne uh kind of giving that sort of a western feel very cool yeah yeah uh and so you know it kind of got me thinking like i do wonder how much pedro pascal was in the show since uh since i don't think they even announced his involvement in the series until like halfway through production so they Mm -hmm. either kept his his involvement under wraps or they brought him on much later uh, and then just had him like voice over a lot of the scenes. So it'd be very interesting. Uh, Pete had a really good theory that maybe it's a good way to keep costs down by bringing in a big name actor to film certain scenes, like key That's scenes and, and, and voice him, but uh, hiring a, um, a stunt double to do the rest. But uh, anyway, fascinating stuff about behind the scenes of the production. Mm-hmm. I really yeah, hope it's interesting. Yeah. So Love to see uh, behind the scenes. Bring us back to this episode. Though. Yes, yeah, yes, yes, please. This specific episode. So, uh, I'd say there's two, there are really two subplots going on. No, not subplots, they're A plots. But um, on the one hand, you have uh, the widow, who's asked, according to your notes, William, is named Omera, which I did not know. Yeah, I did um, not know, you know that either. Or the daughter uh, have a name. Well, no, I heard Winta. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, I think that was there. But, you know, yeah, they're, so there. they're a member of a small farming village, they're farming krill. And their village is uh, being raided by pirates, raiders, whatever it might be. Um, and so we have a single plot focused around the Mandalorian kind of coming in, dealing with that. And then there's a kind of another subplot going on around, um, and this is kind of getting back to what you talked about at the beginning, William, of 
this is the episode I think of where, you know, the Mandalorian has to do his due diligence. He knows that he's not the right person to care for, you mm-hmm. know, a 50 year old child. Um, and so this is the part of the, you know, the, his, their story where he knows the right thing to do is to leave the child somewhere where, where it'll be cared for. And of course that's not something that will last. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I like, even though there are parts of the episode I'm not a big fan of, I do like, I'm glad we got this part of the story so we can move on to the other things that I'm excited to see. Like we've established that the Mandalorian understands this is not the place for baby Yoda to be. We've got the part where we get to see his, uh, you know, I don't know that he's, he isn't a good person, I guess. I thought it worked very well. Mm-hmm. And we got an amazing scene with an ATSD, which we'll get to in a little bit. Oh yeah. Yeah. We get to see the Mandalorians, like a whole range of the Mandalorians thought processes he initially tries to find refuge just for a few months to lay low and then realizes, wow, this is kind of a, a peaceful planet. Maybe I'll, maybe I could, uh, uh, I don't know if he maybe, you know, might be a good place to stay for a bit longer, uh, or maybe even leave baby Yoda with them. Um, mm-hmm. and then, uh, and then kind of realizes, Oh no, I, I can't leave baby Yoda. Uh, and so he kind of, he kind of goes to this whole range of, of, uh, uh, of emotions or, 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 mm. or thought process. Yeah. But. Now, what I found very interesting when he was also back in that bar restaurant and he saw Cara Dune for the first time and he sat there and said, well, this planet's taken. It's time for me to move on. I found that line interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I read like, that as they have a, at least they're certainly familiar with each other, but they, right. They both, I, they both know that they're hiding. I think. Mm-hmm. They okay, both but, and you know, there's just not room for two big know, fugitives is almost the right word. It's very much a, a Western trope, like a, this mm-hmm. town ain't big enough for the two of us type of thing, you know. Okay, but uh, the question yeah, is, yeah. did they ever establish why she was hiding? I mean, they went into her backstory about how she was a shock trooper, how, you know, I, I think why she really didn't like the Republic because she was put down in a certain spot and and lost like her whole battalion or whatever. But I don't think it was ever stated why she was there. Was she just kicking back to stay low? She kind of alludes to kind of a series of jobs gone wrong is how I kind of heard it. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. I don't know. How did you guys, how did you read her kind of backstory? I think you picked up more than I did because I... Because I was just so enamored with the whole episode in and of itself. And really, this one I've only watched once. I will probably go back and watch it again. And I'll probably pick it up the second time. So that's why I brought it up here. So, William, what's your theory? In in dialogue. Um, There's actually a a lot more dialogue in this episode than most. Like, The Mandalorian speaks a surprising amount. Um, But, uh, you know, as you mentioned, we're introduced to Gina. uh, Sorry, uh, Gina Carano's uh, Cara Dune. And, you know, in dialogue, we learn that she is a former uh, rebel shock trooper. Um, and she saw most of her action mopping up Imperial warlords after the Battle of Endor. But eventually it got a little too political for her. She was protecting and uh, 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 different you know, diplomats and suppressing riots. And she basically decided to retire early. And that's why she came and settled on Sorgan. Um, we do learn she's only been there for about a week. At least she's only been at the, the common house for about a week. That's what the proprietor no- mentions. So maybe she was off somewhere else before that. But she kind of picks Sorgon as this place where she could settle down and kind of retire from 
uh, being a, a you know an awesome uh, warrior basically, uh, and and so that's that's why she's she's on Sorgon. Mm-hmm. She's kind of trying to get away and from her her past and just take it easy now that she's uh, she's she's out of the military. Mm-hmm. Certainly understandable, and I I do like how the Mandalorian is very much like okay, look, give me a day, I'm I'm gone. You were here yeah. first. Very uh, respectful of them, I thought. Yeah, yeah. But we we should talk about their their introduction first. So the uh, the Mandalorian he he arrives on uh, on Sorgon in the Razor's Crest, the Razor Crest with Baby Yoda, and uh, we get this just incredible moment where you know Baby Yoda is basically defiantly flipping switches uh, on and off. Oh, that's right. I totally <laughs> that forgot about great. that. And you know the Mandalorian turns it off and. Yoda, maybe Yoda like, looks at him and like flicks it back on again, and he turns it off. Maybe Yoda looks at him, stares, and flicks the switch. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it was just amazing. Okay, what do you think I, the I odds to... are? Go ahead. That, like the show, we get to the final episode, and Baby Yoda just turns and looks and is like, "Yeah, I can talk. I'm 50 years old. What did you expect?" <laughs> oh God, I hope not. That... Because I no, a... I hope not too. But that yeah, because in some in some cases. It would, it would so crack me up. But in some cases, just to hear that little, the, the little baby chirp come out of him every once in a while, just no, he he doesn't need to talk at this moment. No, it's no. just so good. But we yeah. get also another uh, fantastic moment early on in that in that scene when the Mandalorian, uh, you know, now starting to become more comfortable with the child, even calls him a womp rat. Yes, that was great. Which for for us, obviously, you know, as as listeners know, like we always rate on the scale of womp rats. Uh, it was really cool to <laughs> to to actually get a womp rat mention uh, in uh, in the Mandalorian. Um, so the 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 two land on on the planet Sorgon and they go looking for uh, for lodging. And you know, initially the Mandalorian tries to leave Baby Yoda in the cockpit, and you know, Baby Yoda does not listen. Also, I don't, I don't. I don't really understand why the Mandalorian would ever think that Yoda, baby Yoda would uh, not budge from the cockpit. Cause that's of course, of course I'd... he's going to move. Yeah. But y- you got to give baby Yoda a little bit of credit. He can move pretty quick when he wants to. Yeah. I w- that scene of them walking to town. I was like, dude, you gotta, you gotta slow down. His legs are tiny. <laughs> yeah. Yoda had a flying mat to keep up with people. What are you? And what are you baby true. He does, here? Although the he, camera he angle thing anymore, the camera angle be- behind Baby Yoda is you really only see like the Mandalorian's like shins. Uh, yep. excellent, excellent shot. Uh, you also get a, a sense of the scale when they enter the common house, and Baby Yoda is confronted and scared by none other than a live Loth cat. Sorry, yeah, that, that was, was great. I I just loved all those little touches where mm. I feel. And it's the thing the Mandalorian's been doing fantastic from the beginning of this. I get to feel rewarded as a Star Wars fan and people who don't know what Lothcats are and don't care. Like, it doesn't matter. It's a good scene. But I'm just like, oh, this is that's Rebels. I know where that's from. Yeah. And and you also have to look at it. It's also throwing back to the original trilogy with Jawas in the episode before. I mean, that's the callbacks in this show has just been outstanding. It's bringing everybody into the show. That's what I'm loving. Yeah. Oh, I totally. It's, it was it was nice to see. They they do a really good job tying things together without feeling like it's, you know, done just for not heavy handed. It was forced, exactly. right? It's not forced. Exactly. 
so you know that's when we actually um, we actually meet Cara Dune for the first time as she's sitting there in the uh, in the common house, and we uh, learn a le- a le- later that uh, you know she spots the Mandalorian and instantly realizes, oh, he's a he's part of the the, the bounty hunters guild, and she gets scared because you know uh, she she doesn't know are, are they after after her right because i'm sure she made a lot of enemies as a as a shock trooper and so you know she instantly gets up and, and leaves and the mandalorian spots her and starts asking the proprietor of the common house about it about who this about who she is and gets a, a little bit of information with some uh, uh when he plops down some money but not a ton um well, he he plopped down enough because she was very impressed with the amount that he did throw down. Mm-hmm. That was a decent amount of money to her. That's yeah. how backwater they are. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And uh, they that kind of you know while he's he's talking, he learns a little bit, but not too much about her. And that's when he notices that she's she's missing and goes outside. And uh, once again, we get to see more of the Mandalorian's cool tech because he has this you know, uh, the ability to, to track footprints in the ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, you, you left out one thing as he was leaving the common house, he did throw the proprietor some coin and said, Hey, keep an eye on the child. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I, that's a lot of money or like, that's a lot of trust he's putting in that person. Okay, But, but we need to keep going because we'll find out what the actual result was. Well, it clearly was not, well, uh, she was not successful because the, the, the child, a few uh, minutes later, okay. standing outside, drinking the fair seat. point. But that was what that was one of the best shots of the whole show was when you had Kara and the Mandalorian sitting there, rolling around on the ground, pull out their guns, basically at each other's head, and they both look at the same time. And there's that shot of the child with the bone broth, just sipping like a cup of coffee, like, "Hey guys, what's happening?" <laughs> and 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 what may Such. be the the most underrated line of the episode. When the Mandalorian looks at Kara and says, "You want some soup?" <laughs> no, that that <laughs> yeah. was classic. That was good. Yes. Oh, Can we talk good. about how great that fight scene was too. Yes. yes, I. That was a great fight scene. I just love the the physicality mm-hmm. that both of these people bring to the role. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just fantastic. Well, Gina, Gina Carano, she uh, her she used to be an MMA fighter. Uh, yeah, so I did she not. Has know a, that. She has a lot I, of background in, uh, in in fighting, and so she actually does all of her own stunts uh, and worked very closely with the uh, uh, the all the the stunt uh, performers uh, on these these fight scenes. And we even get a little bit more of the Mandalorian flamethrower action, which is nice. Um, so yeah, it's uh. It was just very well shot, very well done. And in the, the, the end, when they're like their blasters are pointed at each other, they're both lying on the ground pointing blasters at each other. Was just very well shot. It was great, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but you're right. You know, so they they talk and and Kara basically says, "Hey, this this town isn't big enough for the two of us." And the Mandalorian gives up and decides to leave, and he heads back to the Razor Crest, uh, to uh, to to leave the planet with with very little. Uh, complaint, which was kind of surprising, but I guess he doesn't want to cause a problem. Well, he's, but put, he's look at from proven the, to be a very amicable person all around. And on top of that, if he was trying to lay low to cause a problem, is going to draw attention, and that's going to bring the bounty hunters after the child. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Now, now, meanwhile, uh, at the beginning of the episode, actually, we we when we're introduced to Omera and Winta, we actually see after their initial uh, peaceful, uh, the opening where, where we find they have a very peaceful life. All of a sudden, the the peace is broken when a, uh, a the village is attacked by Clatoonian raiders, um, and uh, they end up having to to mother and daughter end up having to hide underneath the water, basically underneath the basket. Uh, that actually was pretty cool. It that, was honestly, I did not expect to see. Yeah, yeah, it was as, a clever clever scene. Yeah, it was. It was pretty cool. I thought the Clatoonians were a bit a bit simplistic in their design. Um, mm. But it was actually cool to see uh, Clatinian raiders again, and uh, uh, so so they hide, and the, the raiders basically take all of their uh, all of their krill, uh, a lot of their food, uh, all their money, and 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 leave uh, just a mess, complete mess behind. Uh, and and so the villagers, these these farmers, are very they're desperate, right? They don't have they don't have a lot of money. They don't have any protection from these raiders and so two of them when they, they see the razor crest land they head out toward the razor crest and eventually you know as the mandalorian is preparing to uh fly away from sorgon uh two of these peasants uh Cabin and stoke uh Cabin played by asif ali and stoke by eugene codero approach and ask for help uh, and they basically t- tell the mandalorian hey you know, can you can you help us fight off these raiders? We'll we'll pay you. Um, you know, we noticed you're a Mandalorian, and uh, if you help, we'll give you basically everything we have. Like they they collected a uh, money from the entire village and was they were prepared to give away everything in order to sacrifice. You know, save them, save their uh, their friends and family. And the Mandalorian is not interested. Yeah, he did turn them down originally. What did you what did you guys think about that? I I loved that. I did too. I he's not. I mean, he he is the definition of an anti antihero. Mm-hmm. He's not, you know, in this to save people. He's, I mean, for better or worse, he knows he's developed an attachment that's not particularly uh, safe for him, and he's just here to, you know, be find some safety for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I think it was also he was not a a bounty hunter for hire. He's part of a guild, and it seems like when it comes to the guild, they have let's say rules. If there is a rule within the bounty hunter guild that you're not like in this case for hire, maybe he didn't want to break that rule. Yeah, I just, I love his initial rejection, and just as quickly mm-hmm. I love his turnaround of oh, did you say you lived in somewhere remote? Yeah. That was that was the coolest thing because he was looking at it from the point of view of, I got a place I can hide out for a while. Well, maybe. Yeah, that's what really turned the tide. Once he realized there was a uh, a, a place where he could uh, hide out and, uh, and and lay low that was still on Sorgan but not with uh, not near uh, uh, Cara Dune, then he uh, you know that that seemed like a pretty, pretty great place. And that's when he decides, you know what? Yeah, I'll, I'll take your, your pennies on the dollar and, uh, and instead help you guys out. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely. No. Yeah. Uh, I, I will say uh, of the, the two, one of the interesting things about this episode, <laughs> what I, sorry, I know where you're about to go. 
and oh. I wasn't going to bring it up, and I'm glad that you're going to. Okay, go with it, because I have no idea where you're going with it. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> I think I missed something. So one of the characters who comes, Stoke, um, this isn't the first show I've seen him in. Mm-hmm. He plays... Um, he plays a character in a show called The Good Place, which is fantastic, and you should watch that, it. Yeah. That I've heard. My wife and, has got to watch that religiously. I don't. So there's a, in that, there's a character named Pillboy. He's from Jacksonville, Florida. Okay. Um, played by the same actor who plays Stoke. Okay. And he's not what you might call the brightest person. And it's he plays that role very well. Um. But he has a very distinctive uh, way of talking to. So, so I guess, so I guess, basically, I, with the character he was playing kind of mirrored the character he plays in The Good Place. It's it's no. not that it mirrors. It's he plays the role in The Good Place so well that it, mm-hmm. I can't not see that character. Did it ha- okay. it happen to you too? Then. Oh yeah, it happened because I saw him. I, I even though he was he, the acting was completely different. I I couldn't get his like. Uh, I just don't like, even know how to phrase Tommy, it. There, that that so character, so case, I so couldn't case, disassociate it it. out of the scene because you were looking at the him acting in the good place, although he was completely different in the show. Exactly. Yeah, he just okay. he plays that the role in the good place so well mm-hmm. that I I can't separate the character from yeah his original role. And normally that doesn't okay. happen to me, but with this particular actor, it did. Yeah, um, interesting. It, the second time I it, watched it, it was less of a problem uh, when I rewatched the episode, but. The first time, all I could think of was that. I, I could like, <laughs> I don't know, it was so distracting. <laughs> and I yeah. know The Mandalorian has has used a lot of very famous uh, actors in, in different roles. Uh, but this is the first one that that really uh, uh, kind of bothered me, I guess. Although, thankfully, it was, mm-hmm. I said it was, it was less bad the, the second time around. Uh, also, Cabin and Stoke, they are the only two that really show up uh, the only two villagers aside from Omera and Winta that show up in the, the episode. And there are lots of background villagers, but mm. it was to the point where uh, there's a, there's a scene later where the, all the villagers are gathered and only Cabin, Stoke, Winta and Omera are talking or really Winta wasn't even talking at that point. It was like Omera, Cabin and Stoke. And it was supposed to be a bunch of villagers shouting and, you know, giving opinions, but, only those three were talking and it just it, it kind of took me out of the show a little bit and i i wonder i guess not really took me out but it was very noticeable and i wonder if that's just a limitation of the show's budget where for the most part the show looks very um the show is is looks very high budget but the fact that there weren't as many actors talking in that scene i i just had to wonder if they because they didn't want to pay you know rates for actors with other actors with with, with lines. lines that's a possibility um, and i also wonder like that may be why a lot of the like, we're getting a lot of char- different characters in the mandalorian but not all at the same time very rarely hmm. are they all in the same episode hmm. uh you know and they kind of move on to the next uh group of characters like who knows if we'll still see uh uh, uh quill a bit again or uh grief karga uh or you know, or or even Omera and uh, and Cara Dune, you know. Yeah. So I hope we do, but I, I, I think we'll see Cara Dune again because isn't there a shot of her where she actually has her uh, her big um, the the big machine gun thing? Or is that or am I thinking of her when she's in in the uh, common house sitting with it? I don't know. 
yeah, don't know. We, we'll we see. may see her again. But anyway, just an interesting uh, um, uh, note. Also, a lot of the action scenes uh, were um, they 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 like in episode in the previous episode, episode three. Uh, we had these wide open, these wide angle action shots of all the bounty hunters. This one was a lot more up close and personal in, mm-hmm. in a lot of the, the fight scenes. And uh, if you looked really carefully, uh, you know, they're, they had like depth of field blurring in the background. Hmm. And I think a lot of that, again, is just purely due to budget. And it's not super noticeable, but if you look a little bit, you can you can find it. So interesting. Yeah. But, but, you know, but by and large, like the show's budget is, it, it doesn't look like a cheap show. It looks like a very high quality show. Uh, but there are certain times, little bits here and there, you can, you can kind of tell, Oh, okay. They, they, you know, they're still doing it on a budget. Oh. Um, even if it is a, a fairly large one. It's the, so. it's the magic of cinema. So, so what did you guys think when the Mandalorian goes back to the village? And, um, what I found funny was baby Yoda had his little crib. Uh, that, just I don't know how they continue to do this. It's not fair, but just constantly they find ways to make Baby Yoda more and more adorable. And that crib was another example of it. Well, yeah, yeah, that was fun. And then, then you know, the kids. I found it very fun to have the kids actually interacting with Baby Yoda, especially the part where he tries to eat the frog, and the kids were like, "Ew." Yeah, we get a, just a bunch of scenes of the Mandalorian and kind of Cara Dune just settling into mm-hmm. the village life, I guess I would call it. Mm-hmm. And and that's the thing that actually the thing that I found fascinating was he actually was able to talk Cara Dune into helping him go after go and help. Yeah, the, yes. the yeah, bag that, of money that, helps with that. Yeah, that, the bag of money did help. Uh, there wasn't much, though. Like part of me wonders, like clearly, while they initially Cara didn't want to be on the same planet as the Mandalorian. They they've quickly taken a liking to each other because she qu- very easily with very with little uh little little complaint joined up with him and decided to go help him protect this farm for like basically lunch money, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't yeah. they didn't make a whole lot, um, but uh, she's still helping out there, right? But well, she's you looking have... to hide too, right? That's true. She was. And you know what? I... Yeah. And I think in this case, for her and for him, maybe they realize they need each other just in case all heck. In this case, they were battling raiders, but if something different came along, they would have each other's back. Yeah. yeah. Now, how did you guys feel about the Mandalorian's interactions with, um, I keep, I want to call her the widow. Is it, it's Omera, Omera right? Omera, yeah. Right. How, that was, as I said earlier, that was the biggest sticking point of the episode for me. I, I really? don't feel like their relationship was... I'm going to say earned is probably the the closest way I can think to describe it. Yeah. I just, I had, okay. I got no chemistry between the two. But and okay. Here, so it made every scene of like, Oh, you know, her asking him to stay or things like that just feel really almost awkward to me. I took it as she's the one that had the chemistry. He didn't. That's how I, I, I don't reading. even understand why part of well, it might be because he doesn't have, Sorry, why they didn't have Go ahead. chemistry or why no, the... Wh- I don't understand, like, what what was her... What was drawing her to him? Yeah. Yeah, That's I think a good there was question. supposed to be, like, the, 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 the romance subplot. 
But you're right, because it was, I mean, this was the longest episode of the series thus far at 42 minutes. Um, it was a, as a full length episode, but, um, she, uh, yeah, like I, I liked Omera as a character, but I agree that mm. the relationship didn't feel like it, it was, it was rushed, right? Mm-hmm. It was the Mandalorian shows up and he goes into this, uh, he goes into the barn where he's going to be staying mm-hmm. and Omera happens to be there making, uh, getting the barn tidied up ready for him. And they have a conversation and she gives him food. And then, you know, she comes back uh, the next, or she, he, she leaves, she comes back the next morning. They have more of a conversation. We'll, we'll, we can we'll touch more on that in a little bit. Um, and then, you know, they, they have this fight and she kind of helps lead this. And then by the end, she's like kind of in love with the Mandalorian and pleading for him to, to stay and have build a life with her. <laughs> And it just wasn't developed enough, you know. I think I I I, I, I think what, it wasn't. Go, go ahead, Stephen. Got no. You go ahead. Uh, and like, so there's a scene where she, like, I I liked learning about the Mandalorian's backstory. Things like, you know, we found out that he was taken in as a child. We mm-hmm. find out that he hasn't taken his helmet off basically since he put it on, or at least not in mm-hmm. public. But even things where she's like, "Take your helmet off for me," I'm just like, "Why? Like, what?" I don't know. I get it. Just it. Yeah. It I mean, didn't feel developed enough to see, me. And I found it kind of distracting through that middle part of the episode. I, I, I think, think she wants to see I, his face. Right. Cause she, she likes him, but again, yeah, you're right. Tom, Tom. I think the one thing that I picked up on that I don't think really translated well, there was a passage of time. Yes. Cause I think there was a right. line that was said. I'm not sure how long that time was. And maybe that was the that was one thing that kind of made it confusing confusion of how she could all of a sudden fall in love with this Mandalorian because it was so compressed and there wasn't really a showing of a passage of time of her like watching him, him watching her, you know, the whole kind of you know thing that happens over time to where you see yeah. some kind of chemistry being built. You could feel the chemistry coming off of her. But naturally you got a guy with a mask or with a helmet, you're not gonna feel any chemistry off of him as much because yeah, you can't see a facial reaction. You could feel some of it, but it but was more. I was say, that's where it's where I mean, whether it's the stunt double or um, Pedro Pascal's acting comes in. Like there, he does an excellent job with the the physicality and body language. Absolutely, despite not ever showing the helmet. And it's I didn't ever get anything from him on kind of this whole romance subplot either, which is kind of part of what I think was frustrating for me. And I agree with that because you were getting it more from Omera on her aspect because you could see it developing Pedro Pasquale or the stunt double who's, who's doing the physical acting in some cases has been doing a great job in, in getting the emotion and the feeling out for somebody who's got a helmet on and armor Mm -hmm. in this case, it seemed like there was something there, but it wasn't pushed enough. And that's why it didn't work coming from the Mandalorian point of view. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I think you're totally right, Tom. This is, the biggest issue with this was that we didn't get enough time. I think with time, yep. we could have seen it could have felt made more sense because I did get the sense that the Mandalorian wanted to stay, right? And that he he felt that something I agree for with. Omera. The problem is it, it, we didn't get enough time to see it develop. We really only got like fifteen minutes if you look at the, you know, uh, how how long by the time they got to the village, 
it was i think like you know 10 15 minutes into the episode and then you know he's getting ready to leave 10 minutes before the end and so i mean maybe 20 20 30 minutes and that's with the giant action scene in the middle uh it wasn't a, a ton of time to develop this relationship mm-hmm. and uh we do get a passage of time I, I think after the big fight scene at the end the mandalorian makes a a, a passing mention to the fact that it's been a few weeks right and when they land on uh, sorgon he he says hey this is a good place to lay low for a couple of months so the intent was to be here for some time uh but we don't really get a good sense of how long that is and even if we had we don't see enough as viewers to really latch on to their relationship right right well summarized yep um, um, another minor pet peeve I'll introduce since we're on the pet peeve part of the show. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, so there's the scene where he talks about never taking his helmet off. Um, we get confirmation that it's, he does take it off while he eats. So we get, we get an answer to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but he does, he doesn't do it in public. He then takes his food, sets it on a windowsill where he can see the kids that are out playing in the yard mm-hmm. and then immediately takes his helmet off in what <laughs> I have to imagine is full view of everyone who's in that yard. <laughs> But maybe it's a cast shadow to where uh, there's a shadow over his face and all you see is a hand come out, grab something from a plate and disappear into a shadow. I, I, I am probably what it. it is. I, yeah. no, I don't think you're actually that, that that's a very reasonable way to look at it. It just, the, the framing of the shot I thought was a little bit wonky. You're, you're not and wrong. It made me laugh. You're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay. I did though love the way that they, you never see, even even as the viewer, we never see him take his helmet off. You know, he starts to lift it off, and then it kind of cuts to the, um, to the, a shot of the table where he sets down the helmet, and and, and kind of stares off. You see him staring off, but you never see the back of his head. You never see, um, you know, even the, the the front. It's just the the helmet sitting there, and it was. Yeah. Very uh, reminiscent of like the Master Chief in the the Halo uh, games, yeah. In the way they, mm-hmm. they handled it, so. Um, but then that takes us to the the whole reason they're at the village, and really the big, the big uh, uh, moment of the episode, the big action scene, and that is the uh, the the taking down of the raiders. Uh, and so Kara and the Mandalorian they they track the raiders' footprints to the forest. And eventually discover a giant ATST in the ground, and they realize, oh no, uh, there is, um, there's no way they can fight an ATST. And I love that shot of the footprint, though. Oh, yep, that just, was really cool. I totally agree, and that's one of the things I, I really like about shot. this episode as well. They they make things like an ATST feel scary because mm. oh my god, if yes. you look at even sometimes in the movies, right, or 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 heck even jedi fallen order you see an ats you're like okay it's like a little mech thing you know whatever you know, i'm a jedi a big wobbly I can walker a bunch of ewoks mm. took it down with some logs how bad could it really be right this this shows how terrifying an atst can be and how and and we'll talk about it in a little bit but like how how scary it can look just from the way it's shot um mm-hmm. almost like a like a dinosaur Right. And yes. I think that was yep. a lot of the inspiration that they, uh, uh, the director Bryce Dallas Howard, you know, mentioned that it was inspired by like the dinosaurs from Jurassic Park. And of course, she directed 
uh, one of the Jurassic Park films. But um, did she really? I believe Jurassic she, World. Yeah, was was no. Part. She in Jurassic. She was in. Sorry, she was in it. Yeah, she was in it. Not directly. Thank you. Um, yeah, I was gonna say okay. Uh, about sorry, to be very not direct, but she was in uh, a Jurassic World, I believe, and um, and obviously her her father is Ron Howard, who directed uh, Solo. Oh. Um, I wow, I am okay. Never mind. Yes, sorry. <laughs> so this is so, the I don't know why business. I said Rogue One no, Solo. <laughs> that is the correct answer. <laughs> it's been a long day. Too um, many Star Wars movies. Yeah, that is not but a, but not again, a problem, like. Tom. Yeah, I, I know. Love, I know. Honestly, it's not a problem. I'm just trying. I'm trying to help you, Stephen. I love that we 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 they they actually make these things scary, especially yes. for average people, right? And I love the addition of the red eyes. That was the coolest thing when you see that in the forest and the red eyes just appear out of nowhere. Oh. That was really cool. The that sequence was where, and I'm gonna jump. Ahead, we'll jump back. But the sequence where it's coming out of the woods while they're all waiting. Yes. Well, and you just see the the trees kind of moving, and the red eyes is just fantastic. Right. I love well, the agility that they showed it having. Like mm-hmm. you know, it, it it at no point ever has an issue. You know, stepping on logs, it maneuvers its way around trees. Like you, you understand why the Empire built this, mm-hmm. right? And exactly and what also, they're going to do with it. And you also understand, and you got to jump back a little bit. Why, when Kara and the Mandalorian figured out that there was a, an ATST involved, they almost bailed on trying to protect the village because they were not told something like this they would have to go up against. Yeah, that's exactly correct. Yeah, and it's again because of how scary it is, and I just I really really enjoyed that. Uh, and this is that scene I was talking about earlier, where there was that crowd gathered, and it was a little odd that only one or two people were talking. But um, yeah, you know, but the villagers, mm-hmm. the farmers, they insist on fighting. And and making a go of it and taking out the Clatoonian uh, raiders, and so we get a uh, a training montage that it felt a lot like uh, the Clone Wars season two episode seven bounty hunters in many okay. ways. I'm um, going to defend this because I've seen a lot of things where people online and they even showed a video online almost comparing the two. It goes back eons years seventh samurai you know the magnificent seven there's always whenever somebody who comes in to save a town the village folk need to be trained to fight and defend themselves because this bounty hunter or these magnificent seven or the seventh samurai are not they're not just the seven people who are they're going to need villager help so it's always going to happen where some of the villagers are going to have to help yeah i i actually didn't mind it at all like neither did i i Yes, it's a little bit silly that they're trying to fight with sticks, but that's all that they had. And the Mandalorian is more than happy to throw his uh, considerable arsenal into the efforts as well, which I liked. Now, this was the interesting part. When he asked anybody if they were if they knew how to shoot, Omera put her hand up. I would love to know why. She's got to be like ex-rebel or something like that right some kind of backstory yeah what What is is her her backstory not only did she know how to shoot she was a crack shot like she was darn good with the um like when she they were doing target practice she hit every single shot i'm very curious like what what is her backstory yeah who is she what's going on i don't know Yeah. yeah that that is one now, the question is, will we ever see it? Maybe in a second season. I don't know. But I would love to know a backstory for that character. Yeah. I, uh, 
I, I would, I would too. Um, but we do get this. I, I did like the training montage and I, I, you know, I actually don't think it was a bad thing that it was like bounty hunters. Uh, clone, you know, I, I like the episode of bounty hunters and, um, it was, it was really nice, a, a nice scene. And we, we see the, all the villagers getting trained and, and learning how to fight back and they, they build barricades and they, um, they uh, train with uh, uh, swords and blasters and, and all this stuff in, in to prep for the big defense of their their farm. Uh, and there was one thing they had to do, and Carol was the one that came up with the thing, because they really cannot take down an ATST with those type of weapons. She realized if they were to take one of those where the, the, the krill were, if they were to take one of those little lakes, dig it deeper... They get the ATST to fall in there, and that way they can take it out. Because really, how else are you going to defeat an ATST if you don't have any heavy weapons? I, this is again, this is one of the things I thought it was. I was for so sure that this was going to bother me, and then it didn't. Okay, like, and, the, and why didn't it? Because I know why it didn't bother me. Yeah, so that like we get this whole thing of oh, we're going to try and lure it into a trap. We're going to bring it down to our level so we can destroy it. And I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. makes sense. Right. And the you know they. They go in, they bait the ATST. We get another good fight scene. Talk about it in a moment. And they bait it back to the camp, and the ATST just stops. Yep. And the entire time I'm watching, like the ATST is comes out of the forest, and I'm just thinking, like, why? Why would the it? It has guns. It's gonna go mm-hmm. farther than that. Like, why? Why would it come do this at all? And right. then it stops. And I'm just like, oh, it it wouldn't. That's why. Right. They, I love when you're like, no, no sane show would do this or no sane person or, you know, whatever it might be. And then the show's like, yeah, you're right. We're not going to do it that way. It's never yeah. that simple. Yeah. yeah. And the, the villagers all of a sudden have these barricades and they're like fighting back and they, you know, they clearly attacked you and ran back to their camp. Like something's going on. Of course, you're not going to walk into the camp and, uh, you know, yep. and, and yeah. try to attack. You, you wait, you stand there, you, you terrify them with your, your uh, your 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 blasters and your your giant spotlight, and you wait mm-hmm. for the you know the rest of your f- forces to to run out of the woods. And that that to me made it totally believable because it ended up stopping. It didn't go right into the trap. And that's the best thing about it is it built up suspense, thinking, is it going to do it? If not, how are they going to get out of it? Because that's the other way they could have gone with the story. It didn't have to take those final mm-hmm. steps if it wasn't for Kara barring the Mandalorian's pulse rifle to basically get in that area mm. to bait it, there's no telling how the story would have gone. Right. Absolutely. And then that shot where she manages to shoot the pilot to the cockpit window was just... In the eye. Oh, that was oh. the coolest thing. So nice. It was... And I mean the eye of the ATST, not the eye of the pilot. But, That's yeah, what yeah. I'm saying. Another... Again, another thing I really appreciate is there's the shot of um, you know, they're getting, where, what was it? Uh, ah, sorry. So they're trying, the ATSD stops, of course, and they're trying to get it to, to lure it closer. And again, there's just this moment of sh- where, Car- uh, Noon's like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm, I'll go for it. I'll try. I'm just like, I, what is, I don't understand what she's going to do. Why, why would this work? And they show that shot of her, like, nope, the plan is she's going to get as close, like, you know, underneath the lip, basically. So she's like, they show the perspective where you can see that, oh, 
they don't have range on her yet. Yep. And it just, I uh, it made that part of the episode so good. I thought, just I had I understood what was happening. I felt like it all. Anytime I was like, "There's no way that would work," they they're like, "Yes, you're correct. It would not." Here's how <laughs> exactly. we're gonna try and get around that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then of course the I also love, like throws go ahead, a thermal William. detonator into the cockpit, completely destroying oh. it. Ugh. Loved it. Brutal. Yeah. See, I also love the perspective of actually when whenever they did the shot of where Kara was from the ATST down to her. That yeah. was also a really cool perspective because you had you finally get a feeling of how tall that thing is. Because every time you've seen it either in an at at or an ATST, it was always from the pilot's point of view looking straight ahead, not looking down. If I'm wrong, yeah. I I can't remember an episode where you do see from the cockpit's point of view looking down. And in this uh, case, it's great. Not quite. Yeah, I'm trying. I don't think you ever. Yeah, I don't, I don't think, think you so. ever really do. No, because because if you look at Hoth in the in the at uh, uh, at they're looking straight ahead at the generator. They're not looking down. That's true. Yeah. Again, yeah. it's it's the sense of scale, the sense of how the terrifying these these machines are, that mm-hmm. I think is just so so well done. Um, and we get we get more of the the sense that like when the empire fell apart they just left their 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 tech everywhere their old hardware and now you know the random thugs are are starting to use it and and uh you know it's such a cool concept yep um i also like the the attack on the clatunian raider camp to to provoke them right before the atst appears where we, yeah. they, they basically sneak into the camp uh, under the cover of darkness, uh, the Kara and the Mandalorian, and uh, end up, you know, planting some explosives, and then there's this giant brawl in this tent while the explosives are, are, are beeping and, and and counting down. Yeah, and talk and it, about building suspense because exactly. every time they knock out one or two, here come two more. Then once they're knocked out, here come a couple more. Once they're knocked out, here come a couple more until they're pinned down, and then they realize the only way to get out is shoot the back of the tent. And basically create enough holes to where we can bust through it and get out of there. Yeah, and all the and while right when they the get through, are, boom! And all the while the explosives are beeping down. Yeah, the entire time. Great buildup of suspense. The way they shot that as well. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, it's very, very cool. Um, so you know, in in the oh. aftermath of the of the battle, things quiet down a bit, and as we mentioned, we fast forward a couple weeks, and uh, we. We, we talked about it, so we can kind of skip over a lot of the Omera and the Mandalorian. Um, but she she basically begs him to 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 stay and and live. And even Kara says, "Hey, you could you know you could have a nice peaceful life here with Omera," and tries to convince him to to stay. Um, but he he doesn't want to. Um, he he refuses, uh, and that's when he decides to leave Baby Yoda with Omera. He's like, "I may not be good to stay here, but I can leave." baby yoda now i don't know why the mandalorian thought this would be a good idea because we have no idea how these tracking fobs work but that's a good point so far we know they track from a distance right from a big distance in theory multiple planets uh so wouldn't the mandalorian have known that someone would would eventually come for baby yoda i don't know if it's tracking their dna or what but it seems to be incredibly good at tracking from a, a long range. Yeah, um, because a bounty hunter did arrive on the planet. 
because we even see the fob well, and the tracker the, and, sitting there in the guy's hand. Exactly. And that's one thing I actually really appreciated because when the Mandalorian was like, yeah, I'll leave him here. I was like, but what about the fobs? You know, yeah. like how do these, we don't know how these things work, but they clearly can track to a great deal, you know, with a great deal of precision across a long distance. And sure yeah. enough, um, you know, one of the, uh, a bounty hunter appears, but, um, uh, you know, anyway, it was just, it was interesting that he, uh, he was going to, leave him behind like that. And, well, and, and but Kara also realized says, hey, he it's did, break he did tell Amira that baby, o- that, that the child was happy there. True. And he wants, he, he does want what's best. He for wants the, the right thing for the child. That's right. It's, it's why this episode exists is to the right thing. Of course, is for him not to have the child, but because he's, he is who he is. He, ha- we have to see him try to separate. Right. Right. Of course, and he, realize he that it's the wrong choice. Right. And and just when he he starts to he starts to think, well, maybe maybe I can't stay, but maybe I'll all you know the man you know the, the child could, and and just when he you know Omera actually starts to take off his helmet, you know, and he does stop her. Um, but as this is going on, the this this new bounty hunter appears on the planet, and in a scene that I'm sure terrified viewers around the globe puts his sights on baby Yoda. And I could just imagine everyone freaking out. I think the freak out moment was when you heard the blaster fire and it was a shot of Mandalorian and Omera that you're just like, did you guys think, no, did you guys think the child was dead? No, but I, no, not, not really. But for a moment I wasn't sure. Okay. I hate to say this, but if, if it were to be one of those issues to where, you look at what it wouldn't have been the child. It would have been a misdirect and it would have been, let's say Omira's kid. If you want to play really cruel. Yeah. Something like that, you know, just by accident, the, the, the wrong person gets shot, but we ended up finding out which this was done very well. The bounty hunter is still standing there when you do the shot of the bounty hunter. And then when he falls, it's Kara behind him because she's the one that pulled the trigger. to yep. basically save the baby and the Mandalorian. Yes, and great uh, and the, yeah, the baby totally is saved. Shot. Um, it was yeah, it was such a good shot. But but the Mandalorian realizes, you know what? It's never going to be safe. It will no. never, ever, ever be safe. And so that's why he decides. Okay, well, it's time to time to leave with the child. And he even turns down uh, Kara's offer to to help. Do do you think we'll see? Kara and uh, Omera again. I know. Omera, no. Kara, yes. I agree. It would be my vote. Hmm. Yeah. Part of me wonders if we will see Omera again at the end of the series. Like, do you think he might come back to Sorgon and settle down? Uh, I think uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they filmed that scene, depending on whether the show did well or not. Mm. If they didn't think there was going to be a season two, I could see that being an e- a nice way to end the show. That's true. No, that's true. Yeah. But I think that because the show is already done so well and have we gotten a sec confirmed for a second season yet? They're, they are in production right now on season yeah. two. Yeah. Like they're there's in. just, there's no way they're not going to. Yeah. No, they're currently now, filming. So I could see it this way. Since this is a streaming service, they can say how many seasons it could be. <laughs> Technically they could say it's going to be only three seasons. They still could have, film that one shot 
And still at the end, he ends up on this planet with her. It could Absolutely. be in a can somewhere. You never know. It's true. Yeah. Are we good for our ratings? Yeah, let's uh, let's uh, let's let's, let's do, do it, it. Stephen. Okay. Ooh, so I'm gonna. So I will say this has been my least favorite episode thus far. Um, I just the the flow felt a little bit off. The dialogue felt a little bit more forced to me than some of the previous episodes have been, um, particularly between Omera and the Mandalorian. Um, I, I think I'm gonna give it a seven. Um, and it's really kind of an average of like two scores. There's like the five, which is the subplot between Omera and, uh, the Mandalorian and like a nine for the ATA, uh, ATS teen scene. <laughs> um, I was very much like halfway through that episode. I'm like, wow, this is, uh, this is the first bad episode. I'm slightly disappointed. And we got to the end. I'm like, okay, it, it balanced itself out. It's certainly not as good as I think is the first three episodes. It's still my least favorite episode of the four we've had thus far, but they redeem themselves with a, a truly fantastic ATST sequence. Um, so yeah, I guess, uh, so I'll give it a seven out of 10 Womp Rats and my seven Womp Rats. Well, you know, I was, you may have been wondering why we couldn't see the pilots of that ATST for a while. Um, <laughs> it's, they were a little bit shorter than normal. They were, uh, you know, about what, um, uh, two meters tall, uh, two meters tall is actually pretty tall. How, how large is a Womp Rat? They're pretty small, right? Uh, no, that's, it's the, two meters is the size of a Womp Rat. Two meters. Yeah. Remember? Two meters. Yeah, okay. So I guess the blast hole is only two meters wide. Yeah, it's no bigger than Womp Rat. You're right. Uh, well, in that case, uh, I mean, two meter tall Womp Rats. I, I thought they were smaller, but apparently not. Interesting. Okay. I'll go next. Tom. Um, I do agree. I think this was out of all four of the episodes. This was one of the slowest ones. It still had a good pace. It really, now that we talked about it, it definitely reminded me a lot of a Clone Wars episode. I'm going to say it, but I'm not one to sit there and blast it for that. It just still felt like it was a Star Wars episode. If it was something completely different, then I'd be blasting it. But it still felt like you were in the Star Wars universe. It still had that feel. Um, now that we talked about it, there was a little bit of an issue with um, Omera and the Mandalorian I think for me, it it was the biggest thing about there wasn't too much of a stress about the passage of time. It was just like a one line that was almost like a throwaway. Um, but it the ATST fight and all that stuff at the end made up for it. So I'm actually going to give this episode an eight. And my eight one practice. You see, let's go back to the uh, Razor Crest and when baby uh, uh, the, the child was pressing the buttons. And remember, he hit one of the buttons in which there was a bunch of turbulence. That happened to have been the airlock where the uh, eight Womp Rats were at. Oh, no. Yeah. Baby Yoda. Baby Yoda accidentally spaced him. And the Mandalorian appears to not have been happy. (laughs) I was waiting for that one. Oh, boy. Very nice. Nice. All right. William, you're up. So, uh, yeah, I I think I would agree with you guys. I think this was the the weakest of the the four episodes so far. But, you know, that's... One, because like the last, the first three episodes were so incredible, right? Saying this is a, it, this is a weak episode. Saying this is, is the like, weakest episode is not, 
it's not really an insult. No, no, no it's, it's like, it's, sure, this may not be as, it didn't quite reach the same highs as the other three so far, but it was still an incredible hour of, of television. Mm-hmm. And I, I really enjoyed it. And I think the Mandalorian is doing a fantastic job telling the story. And it's also the middle point of the story, right? It's the point where right. it's supposed to quiet down a bit, right? Um, normally you, you know, you'd get this all in one, you know, in one episode uh, or like one movie because this, this story is continuous, right? Some episodes are going to be the quiet points and then it'll pick up again. Uh, this is by design. Uh, it's supposed to be like this. And, um, you know, I thought it was just really well done. So, uh, I, while, while it was not as quite as, 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 as amazing as the other was, I still, the last three, I still really, really enjoyed it. Also, I, one thing I forgot to mention, the, the music, I, I really like the music in this, um, in this episode. It's a, it's a departure from the style of the last three, but still feels like it's part of the same soundtrack. They've kind of d- ditched the, a little bit of the Western influences, um, and um you know almost went for a i'm not really sure what how to describe it but it's a very different style uh, uh of sound um and yet it still feels like the mandalorian so i thought um ludwig uh Gorenson did a really good job on that so overall i think i'm gonna give it seven and a half uh womp rats out of uh out of ten uh re- i really enjoyed it i did uh, i highly recommend the mandalorian um and uh, I cannot wait to see where they take the show next. Um, Absolutely. So yeah, my my seven Absolutely. and a half womp rats. Um, well, they were unfortunately, uh, despite being uh, two meters, um, they were attacked by the loth cat and eaten. Oh, that's you know those loth cats but... are pretty dangerous. Oh yeah, they, they are rebels. I mean, and cats eat rats, so it's only there natural. Go. It is only natural. So, uh, yeah, that's that's that. But, guys, we're not done. Tom, take us into our review of Resistance. All right. With this one, we're talking Resistance Season 2, Episode 9, The Vox Vortex 5000. This was directed by Stuart Lee, and it was, this was written by Gavin... Wow. Here I am without my glasses. Heinet. There you go. Okay. So in this episode, the Colossus visits a casino for some racing that will hopefully bring payday to the platform. But the owner's ship may not be easy to defeat. Hmm. Okay. So basically they went back to racing in this episode. Because they were running out of money, and the money basically gets them supplies. So uh, the aces are getting a little bit anxious. Yeah, they need you something know. to do because they're starting to beat up on each other. Um, so hype, it's hype the one that sat there and, and made the suggestion. Hey, I got this friend I used to fly with that owns a casino called Virick the Blue, and you know what? Let's go over there and let's go race, and maybe I can win us some money. What? It- what what did you guys think of uh, this whole decision? I think they're taking a lot of lessons from uh, Kaz, and that's not a compliment. No, because like, uh, go ahead. Yeah, like uh, I, I get the whole concept of you know the the aces are anxious, but like, come on, guys, like 
you know, at the beginning of the episode, we see them all brawling in the in the break room, effectively, because they are mm-hmm. they can't get their aggression out, you know, and they can't race. And it's like, you know what? I know you guys are bored, but suck it up, suck it up, <laughs> right? <laughs> like <laughs> you, okay. you guys are pilots. You're now defending the the Colossus. You know, just because you can't do your hobby and race doesn't mean you know you can't behave yourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's you- not like they're pirates, right? And like fl- flying for Vranky, I'm not really sure how it solves a lot because the Doze's whole concern was that they would by flying they would um they would make themselves too uh too much of a, a target for the for the mm-hmm. first order. The first too, order would end up attention. finding out about this. Right? So yeah. so we're not gonna fly around the Colossus, we're going to fly the Colossus to the Vox cluster. Mm-hmm. and race like said, there. How does that solve taking, anything? Okay. It, it, here's here's the other from Kaz. Yeah. Yeah. And, and here's another thing about this. Um, this reminded me too much of um, the Freemaker Adventures. And who was uh, uh, the hut from that one that always wanted to make the casino? <laughs> that's uh, what this, that's what this reminded me of. Yeah. Yeah. The, and, and, you know, and and also to make it even more depressing, so hype's building up this this casino in space. He's a friend. I can race these guys. And there's you go walking in there. There's only one person playing a slot. Well, that was that I thought was hilarious. Okay, I that that was hilarious. That was okay? like a recurring joke where, you know, they Frankie was was pra- you know praising or talking about how amazing his cantina uh, his um his casino is and and yet there's only one patron in the entire casino the entire episode <laughs> it's just and his great. dealers are, are kokorian monkey lizards yeah that's uh, how but think about how great of a dealer they would make they're i that's they looked bored yeah. they were throwing dice you couldn't tell if they were winning or losing because they were working there but it just the episode just kept taking me back to the freemaker adventures with that hut always wanting to build his resort and, and yeah. Rabala. Thank you. Rabala the hut. Thank you. Why, why do I know these things, Tom? It's okay. Why is this helpful to me? I love the free. I love that. I almost thought that was the hut we were going to get. Oh, I would have loved to see Grabala. I love Grabala so much. He's, he's amazing. And actually, you're right. Like even the style now, right? It is on Disney plus. It is. And even the style of the, um, uh, even the style of the casino is very similar to Grabala and the fact that he's trying to be a legitimate businessman. Like, Vranky calls himself uh, Vranky the Blue instead of Vranky the Hut because mm-hmm. you know he wants to differentiate himself from the other huts who are typically criminals and he wants to be this this legitimate businessman. And of course, he's he's not. Uh, we f- okay. we find out he's a lying cheater. Um, yeah. How can you be a legitimate businessman when hype comes to you and says, look, I used to be one of your best racers. I got a deal for you. Let me race one of your racers out there. So that way we can get money because it's going to be 25,000 credits. Okay. Once hype gets out there to race, what does he end up racing against a droid, which you got to give that design credit because it had a good mix of a new design, but still with a vulture droid feel to it. Yeah, actually, it was Vulture's were a great comparison. Um, but but again, like, and sorry for jumping ahead. No, no, no. I 
I don't get the motivations in every step of the way in this episode made zero sense. And I hate to say that, um, but like Doza, uh, so they're, they're all anxious. So hype says, well, I got a friend we can fly for. Okay. Ignoring all the logical issues there that we talked about just a minute ago. He says, Hey, we'll make some money. And Doza's like, Oh, we could, we could use money. Right, he proposes it to Doza, and Doza's like, "Yeah, you're right. We could use money. I guess they'll, you know, help you guys and get us some money." But then through the rest of the episode, they act as if like they need the money, uh, when it wasn't the thing they absolutely needed at the beginning. Um, and hype and 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 everyone in the Colossus makes some incredibly unwise decisions. They're basically acting like really bad gamblers who are like oh I, mm-hmm. I i you know i i didn't get this one but the the next the next time i'm I, I know i'll win i know i'll make my big payday i know i'm gonna get this and they keep gambling and losing everything and so to exactly sum exactly what they're doing here to sum it up they had a very bad gambling problem right no that's exactly what yeah the whole because, crew of the colossus had in this episode yeah because and, and hype basically he wage he, he bets like why you would do this like hype must have an ego like we know hype has a large ego but like he has an ego the size of the star killer base because he <laughs> That's, he's I mean, like you're not wrong he, he no I, I would say a little bit bigger than star killer the, the deal they make is you know what tell you what uh you know uh Frankie, he wants uh he wants to up the stakes a little bit he's not just gonna do a, a normal race so um, you know, we'll, we'll bet. How about hype's freedom? Does that sound good? Like, you know, you win hype gets his freedom in the, in the money you lose. I own you and your ship for the rest of your life. And you get to fly for me and make me money because the tenants has been low and everyone's off to cattle bite, which I did like, by the way. And but that was a good, um, good call. And so you gonna have to fly for me so that hopefully we attract people back and you'll basically be my slave. How's that sound? You don't need the money, but you should race anyway to win the money. If not, you could become my slave. Okay. And but then they're like, here's they're, the, and then they're like, uh-huh. go ahead, Tom. Okay. So, so hype is going to end up being his slave. Everybody's going to come and see hype race. Really? You've got droids out there who basically can beat anybody in the galaxy. So are you basically saying that once hype ends up being your pilot from this point forward, you're going to get rid of those droids? That's a great that point. to me doesn't make any sense. Yeah, the droids are already really good. There's just there's a lot that doesn't make sense, right? And Frankie was supposedly like a friend of Hypes. You know, it's not well. It's well, not really clear. If, good if friend Hype he was turned out to be. Like, did was 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 Hype like indebted to Frankie for a while, like or like an indentured pilot where he kind of had to? It's not that's that's the impression I got. But then why would Hype go back and call him his friend? I just I don't get it. I really don't. And then. You know the they do the race, and of course Vranky cheats, and and hype gets knocked out by one of these droids. And I I did like the I did like the droid a lot. Um, but the funny thing was, after hype gets knocked out, then the next ace goes in there. Oh, I can do it! I can do it! Then that one gets knocked out. Then the next one gets in there. Oh, I can do it! I can do it! it it's like. Again, we mentioned before, it's like you think you would learn your lesson. If I was Doza, hype, if this is fine, you're staying. Bye, y'all. Right. Yeah. One by one, Freya 
Bo, Griff, they all lose and they all make the same bet where they end up having to basically become permanently live on uh, in the Vox cluster and work for uh, Frankie. And it's like, what are you, what are you doing? Why are you betting your lives? And it like, they're just doubling down and, and the defense of the Colossus. So basically your lives and the lives of everybody on the Colossus Doza, you're putting all that on the table? Right, and eventually Doza's like, you know what? Well, we've lost all of our pilots, so we have to bet the entire ship, because otherwise they have no protection. So let's just bet the entire Colossus. Not just Kaz and Torres, my own daughter's lives now. We're going to bet the entire mm-hmm. Colossus. Um, I just... I'm sorry. I, I know I probably feel like I'm hyping on this. Uh, hi- hyping. Uh, harping on this. <laughs> well, but, oh, but that's it was, terrible, William. Why? Um, why? It just... No, and, and- mm. Yeah. The, oh. the, the, okay. Can okay. you not do that again, uh, Stephen? <laughs> um, oh God! It just um, I, I felt like it, an excuse to race, and I I, I get that they wanted to have like um, a lot of racing in the episode. It just felt like um, a series of incredibly unwise decisions, and really, Yeager was like the only voice of reason at one point he says did we all lose our minds i'm just like yes Yes. what are you doing yes yes you did yeah i mean if if you want to talk about this being a a filler episode this was a filler episode because this to me had nothing to advance the plot forward for resistance the last episode had something that advanced the plot forward this one Okay, I'm surprised anybody didn't bring this up. So you're putting the Colossus and everything on the line here. Now we are a definite sitting target for the First Order. Because we're going to be in one single solitary spot. Yeah. I I don't get it. And like I don't know. If I were them, especially once like hype lost, I would have been like, you know what? I know there's these two like Kowakian, like giant hulking Kowakian monkey lizards as bouncers guarding the door. A couple blaster, fi- blaster like, rifles could have taken them out hard. up against the Empire. You can go up against two Kowakian monkey lizards. <laughs> yeah, I mean, unless he's got 25 more behind him, if that's the case, I would give him some... Uh, hey, look, I'd offer him some food, take him back to the Colossus, in case you get raided by the First Order, there's your muscle. Done! Yeah. Yeah. Now, I did like... I did visually. I thought the episode was really cool. Um, the with the asteroid field, I got to give you credit, especially yeah, the, during the flying scenes. The race in there was really cool with like the co- the colorful you know, entrails behind the 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 ships as they flew through the dark asteroid field, and the um, the the the, the Ranky's droids were really cool, um, and uh, it just the the whole the whole race itself was was interesting and the the racetrack is actually even modeled after a real life the real life f1 racetrack uh oh cool you know it's like a lot of little cool details uh in there and and some funny lines like when frankie calls says you know how dare you call me slimy like he's a hut like obviously um so there are things I, i i i liked about the episode uh it just i couldn't get past the insane insane decisions to keep betting their their yep. lives away um it's the gambler's fallacy you always bet yeah. more right i'm like what, what are we teaching our kids and then a little episode? bit more bet, yeah. bet bet everything 
but, um, and but, then but lie you, and then cheat to win because yeah, basically because what uh, you know the the B plot uh, sort of a B plot or the one A plot um, is that uh, you know uh, Niku is is playing these these little uh, arcade games that are exactly the same as the racetrack and uh, and very similar it's a very advanced arcade game and somehow uh hype makes the logical leap and i'm not sure how he does this but to say like well it's so similar maybe maybe there's the same droid brain core controlling the game and the droids so if we hack the game we can hack all the droids okay but didn't you was he going to hack the droids or were they doing it to where they were hacking into the droids brain so they could understand the track and cheat that way? I was under the impression they were going to use that game to actually hack into the droids and basically destroy the droids. Right. Unless I got it completely wrong because I thought they were using the game as like, this is the track. If we follow the game, now we know how the track is no, laid. No, I think they were out. actually the, the way impression I got was they were actually trying to control the 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 ships. Uh, okay, Steve, Stephen, what did you what did you think of this whole the concept? Uh, just I don't know. It felt like a little bit much. Like I don't know. They just it was a stretch, confusing. Yeah, like. Oh, I don't know. Con- confusing from the point of view of the the choices that were made during the episode from the characters. Plain and simple. Yeah. Yeah. But um, but in the long run, in the long run, you got to give them credit. At the end of the day, they got an extra five hundred thousand dollars of credit thrown on top of them, so they did walk away with a hefty payday because they eventually did win. They did. Thanks. Painful to get there. But and, they won. And, you know, Niku does come through at the last minute, despite being attacked by a bunch of Kawakian monkey lizards. He he does come through. He hacks the game and is uh, able to to shut down the 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 droid ship and shut down the uh, the, the, the turrets. Because, like, Renki, he was cheating with the droids that would, like, literally grab onto your ship and fling it out of the way. It was pretty cool looking. Uh, yeah. Mines in the in the course, um, turbo and that lasers. Last ring had two blasters on right, it. and they even did like a relay race in the last one where Kaz and Tor had to do this relay race against the the droids, and eventually Kaz wins by going off course and like cheating and avoiding uh, some of the the other obstacles, uh, and manages to to get to the end. Uh, okay, but just but time. in 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 Vanking's defense. He cheated. Oh, he did, but so did Frankie. Like, and that was the other okay, thing. Like, okay, I, I, I know. Cheats in, I know in the that. First... I, I meant it as a joke because he, because Frankie said originally there was no cheating and throughout the whole thing. And that was the only cool thing about the races. Each time a racer went to race, something different happened in the race. It wasn't the same droid that was using the laser fire at the same point. There was, you know, something else happening with with you know things coming out. Uh, the asteroid field or laser cannons on an asteroid or the laser cannon at the end. So at least each racer had a more difficult time instead of the same race each time. That was one saving grace for the races. It was. It, again, there was, the races were visually cool. 
there was a nice variety of stuff um it, it, it was cool how niku was able to eventually hack the ships and you know save the day um and i liked a lot of the things like Vrink, he's a i like he's a he's a different style of hut than we've seen i, I liked that you know he he wears a cape he's very he's blue he uh, has a cool hover chair and drinks a out of a bowl of gorg water like he's a different style of character i also like this idea that the, this, there's this casino that is uh is you know pretty much empty right this hotel and casino and uh um uh, you know and, and that nobody wants to come to because they're all off on canto bite so there's some really cool concepts in the episode for sure uh, and of course the yeah. giant hulking clocky monkey monkey lizards that we've never seen before and are and you know what by and are terrifying and are voiced yeah, by Dave but realize that Niku does say when he gets attacked by the quonking monkey lizards, the smaller ones, it tickles. He found little, it ticklish. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Niku. Oh, Niku. Yeah. But, Are we ready for our ratings? Yeah. I think so. T- okay. Tom? I- I'm giving this episode a 5.5. And my 5.5 womp rats, <laughs> they're actually the ones that are inside the droids. Mm. So they were it's actually controlling droids. Yeah. So nice. there you go. Next. Uh, I'll, I'll, uh, I thought this episode was okay. Again, visually it was interesting. I just wish it wasn't like a series of like a bad gambling. <laughs> Again, I know they're in a casino, but like I wish they weren't, didn't keep gambling themselves in a, unnecessary way in the end they did walk away with you know 500,000 credits plus um uh plus Cass's winnings and they managed to free everyone and 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 Frankie did you know stay true to his word and let them all go but it just I don't know mm-hmm. it, it was just frustrating I guess it was a, it was a somewhat frustrating episode so uh, I'm gonna give it four and a half Oh, sorry, four and a half, four womp rats out of uh, out of out of ten, and uh, my womp rats. Um, well, Vranky's. Fe- I don't know what Vranky is feeding those <clears throat> those bouncer womp rats, but uh, whatever he's feeding them, uh, I'm gonna feed to my four womp rats as well. So they're gonna be giant, hulking womp rats. I thought you were gonna say he was feeding them womp rats too. I mean that I've I do I have heard that makes you extremely uh, extremely buff and uh, okay and fit so you know okay yeah. there you go maybe maybe he's feeding the womp rats womp rats too that's oh good one good one there who knows Stephen uh I think I'll split the difference I'm gonna give it a five out of ten um it had some good parts I was glad to have some racing back but just a little too much each time a little bit of a stretch and uh i don't know i mean Frankie didn't get you know hyped to stick around but he got some he maybe got five womp rats in exchange so all in all not a bad deal yeah poor, poor Frankie. <laughs> yeah. what are you gonna do uh yes well with uh with that i think we've reached the end of another episode of uh of ion canon um we'll be back next week with our review of the mandalorian chapter five in which the mandalorian helps a rookie bounty hunter who is in over his head 
I wonder. Oh, that this, sounds good. It does sound yeah. really good. I I wonder who this Wookie, uh, this Wookie, <laughs> rookie. That would be funny if it was a Wookie <laughs> bounty hunter. Uh, I wonder who this rookie bounty hunter is. It sounds cool. The Mandalorian just continues to impress, and I am so excited to see what happens. Yep. And with that, uh, we'd like to thank you all for listening, and we'll be back next week with our review of Chapter Five of The Mandalorian and Resistance Season Two. Episode 10 uh, called Kaz's Curse. So stay tuned Uh for that. Talk to you later, guys. Thank you for listening to the Ion Cannon Podcast, your source for entertainment reviews from a galaxy far, far away. For over a decade, Ion Cannon has covered every corner of the saga, from the films and animated series like The Clone Wars and Rebels, to books, comics, games, and more. If you like what you hear, please rate us in your favorite podcast client. Your review will help this show grow within the Star Wars community. We can be found at our website, ioncanoncast.com, and you can follow us through Facebook and Twitter. To email us, you can do so at contact at ioncanoncast.com. The Ion Cannon Podcast is not associated with Lucasfilm, The Walt Disney Company, or any and all of their respective trademarks or copyright holders. Any opinion expressed on the show are that of the hosts. This podcast is a production by fans, for fans, and is copyright 2018.